Welcome to Panel Up, your monthly pop culture panel. I'm John Campbell. And I am Mike Gergoni. Oh, Gergoni, it is the holiday season and uh, and all that that encompasses. Yeah, for good or for ill, we are now into a long stretch of holidays and the music that is associated with it and the TV and movies that we all love slash hate that also go along with all of it. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I, I would. It's interesting. I uh, I don't know about you, but my family is very uh, you go. My family tends to go Christmas crazy. My father in particular. And the thing about it is, sometimes I get a reputation for being kind of a Grinch, and I I, I swear I'm not. I love Christmas in its place. What I am not on board for is the three months of Christmas it's turned into now. That gets that sure. burns me out a little bit, you know. So. I would call my family uh, Christmas agnostic. We appreciate Christmas if we all happen to be in the same place at the same time, but otherwise we can take it or leave it. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Well, that's that's a different thing. Everyone is contained in the same area here for me, so it it, it turns it into there's no uh, there's no escaping it. Um, not that I want. I don't it. know if you're picking up the wood chipper in the background of my audio here, what? so I apologize. I, you're always out in the middle of rural nowhere where somebody's doing intense work. It seems like at your place. <laughs> I live in the suburbs. I yep. just happen to be in the middle of a construction zone I just 90% think of the time. You, are, you live in the suburbs. I'm, you know, out in, you know, at least uh, on the edge, on the very edge of downtown. And yet you're always the one with sound issues and there's nothing going on over here. Look, all I can say is that they're doing a bang up job removing the dead limbs right now. Yeah, man. They got to get rid of those dead limbs. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, since it is the holiday season, something we haven't had for a while is Doctor Who for the holidays. It's true. For the longest time, especially during our uh, media as adolescence, let's call it, uh, yeah. we have had a pretty spectacular run of consistent Doctor Who. Like, honestly... They talk about this big gap of time in which Doctor Who didn't exist. That wasn't around when, like, except for when we were real, real young and wouldn't have had an appreciation for it anyway. No, that's it exactly. We definitely are firmly of, uh, as Whovians, which both of us are pretty pretty hardcore yeah. about our about our Doctor Who. Um, but we definitely grew up in, the, in, in, in this relaunch era, starting with, and which will bring us to where we are now even, because he's returned, of course. Starting with the Russell T. Davies relaunch with Chris Eccleston, right? Uh, or even, yep. the, even the Paul McGann TV movie, to a certain extent. Um, I didn't get to that till later, but I definitely hit the ground running with Eccleston. And I was yeah. like, oh, Doctor Who, what's this? A sci-fi uh, thing that I'm not a huge fan of? Well, better yeah. catch that. Doctor Who was like, uh, the, my before Eccleston, my only experience with Doctor Who was... I knew what Tom Baker looked like. I probably thought he was the only doctor. Mm -hmm. And because I, you know, I mean, just being a nerd in, in the nerd sphere as a kid and stuff like that, you saw the hat and scarfed Doctor Who and you were like, oh, that's that British guy. I don't know what his deal is because it wasn't like readily available either. I feel like I watched enough PBS yeah. as a kid that I'd occasionally catch a rerun with zero context yeah. and not really understand what differentiated Doctor Who from shows like Wishbone and the Magic School Bus. Yeah, he was around. I don't think I, I didn't. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's like, because they were, once again, it's such a weird media landscape now for young people where it's like, but like British stuff wasn't 
a plenty when we were kids. There, there was a round, but it had a. It was almost like, oh, that's a British thing, isn't it? If it wasn't Monty Python, right. you had to try pretty dang hard to get your hands on it. That was it. It was it was Monty Python. It was it was the PBS thing, right? So it was Monty Python, or um, being the kind of kid I was, it was masterpiece mystery and like the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes, that kind of stuff, or the the David Suchet uh, Poirot. You know, occasionally you'd catch like reruns on some deeper cable networks of like faulty towers or something. Yeah, that's the thing. But it, but I said it always sort of had this thing about it was othered in a way to me, where I was like, oh, that yeah. that comes from England. Uh, Mr. Bean was as close as a lot of us got. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And that's the thing about it. It is uh, now what's great is everything. I mean, I, you know, I go on Max and I go, hey, this show looks interesting. Oh, it's from Sweden. Oh, that's because there's just the walls have completely come down, which is fantastic. We get all I love my uh, South Korean historical zombie apocalypse. uh, Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) And and you'll get things where it's like, I love Lupin on. on Netflix, mm-hmm. and that's like mm-hmm. the most watched show on Netflix, and it's a French show, you know. You like, yeah, it's just great. Um, but that all leads us back to this. Yes, uh, the thing about uh, Doctor Who, uh, you know, it, it, I really, I do feel like it's not just us. Like that's it really became a worldwide phenomenon sometime in that Eccleston to Tennant to Smith era, right? Like that's where it started yeah. to get gain a lot of popularity. And we're here talking about the 60th anniversary specials, but we were there when 10 years ago. Remember, the 50th anniversary special was the biggest thing in the world. We saw it in theaters. We did. Yes, absolutely. I, I also went to the, um, I've been to a couple of these in theaters because I did go to the last Capaldi special in theaters as well, mm. um, where a bunch of grown men were trying to be like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it, it's, it's, it's certainly grown immensely in popularity. Uh, so much so that now Disney's got their their uh, cartoon gloved mitts on it, and the cartoon gloved mitts are important because next year Mickey Mouse becomes uh, 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 public, public domain. domain yeah. But specifically, it's Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse who doesn't wear the gloves. So the gloves are actually pretty important. Yeah, yeah. that is the thing about like when Disney fought to do this. Like, dude, I, I I think I think Mickey Mouse is gonna be fine, even if he's in public domain. <laughs> People will still know Disney Mickey Mouse. It's like, yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it's a little bit of a shocker to see rolling around at the the top of this month Doctor Who showing up on Disney Plus. Uh, you know a little bit more about the the deal here. It, it seems to me like they don't have they didn't just buy Doctor Who. No, no, Doctor no, Who no. is not readily available on Disney Plus. No, uh, f- starting now, Doctor Who is uh, a combined BBC-Disney production. But it's still... So that's the idea is... um, The the thing is, yes, so up until... BBC owns Doctor Who, but basically starting at this special where we're beginning is the first of Disney influence. So no, they don't own Doctor Who outright like they do Star Wars and things like that. But they are the American home of Doctor Who. And I think more than America even. Basically, I think anywhere outside of England, it is on Disney now. But just the new episodes. The old episodes are still contained. Max, uh, Warner Brothers, through whatever deal they had with home video, still has the starting... This is is where if if you're into Doctor Who, it's like... 
Okay, starting with the Christopher Eccleston stuff through Jodie Whittaker, it's all on Mac. Anything before that is over on BritBox, which is its own streaming service specifically for British television, um, which if you're into British television, I do actually will say is well worth the... Uh, the subscription because but that's just because i you know i need my dark british detective dramas i need them man <laughs> if you can't have instant access to luther what are we even doing i absolutely put that in my veins man <laughs> if somebody's gonna there's a murder in this town i get that then i'm watching it um but uh yeah so this is uh the, this is the starting place of uh of disney as the new home but the great thing about that is that we get these at the same time as they come out in England and they're available to everybody everywhere. So that's nice. Cause it used to be sort of a thing for a while. It was like there was a gap or you had to have the BBC cable channel to be able to watch BBC America. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was a long, there's a long time when like the streaming home or the, you know, if, if you didn't have cable, uh, it was very hard to watch Dr. Who. Yeah. Which uh, is kind of speaks to, it how universally it speaks to people in terms of like it was able to catch on in an era where it wasn't easy for right. it to catch on. Absolutely, uh, no, that's what that's what's crazy about it. Um, is it, it, it speaks to the quality of the of the thing because I, I think that and and Sherlock was the other big one mm-hmm. from England that this became like global phenomenons. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but it's it's interesting now having it become a part of the kind of pop culture milieu that Disney has created because it feels it feels like it should have maybe been there the whole time to well, me. It, it's not the most it's 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 not a bad fit, right? Like Yeah. Like that's the thing about I mean people have talked about Disney is slowly taking over every science fiction thing. It's pretty they pretty much are a Star Trek away from having their hands <laughs> every major science fiction franchise basically um so it, it is it is interesting but also there is and particularly in england this is the case and has been because you know this is this is the 60th anniversary of the show um doctor who came on even before star trek which is crazy to think about um mm. but uh it's a family franchise over there it is a gather round mom's dad's grandmas grandpas all the kids everybody can watch doctor who so it kind of makes sense that disney is our family brand you know that's what they would have us believe yeah yeah i mean that's but i mean like like that's that's the thing because that that includes the parks and stuff like that it's like oh everybody loves disney it's they have built themselves entertainment yeah to be as family friendly as widely accessible and as inclusive as possible. And that can rub some people the wrong way, but it is what they're building their brand to be. That's it exactly. Yeah, I know. It's it's an interesting thing when when you had, you know, we don't need to get into, but like when we when, when you had Disney being railed against for stuff, and you're like, boy, you know, Disney is as like uh they're 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 gonna be the last people to take a bold take on anything. Because the whole appeal is we we embrace everybody. So when you're like, man, Disney's get you, you know, Disney's out there, man. I don't agree with their politics or whatever. <laughs> like, Disney doesn't have politics, man. Disney's Disney, you know. So it, yeah. it it speaks to the embracing of these of this diversity and culture, right? If Disney's on board with it, <laughs> yeah, Disney's not going to stand out alone themselves. So uh, 
but no, I do think I do think it fits really well, and I think that that's the I. It almost feels like that's the case when you yeah when you log into your Disney Plus and there's Doctor Who. He doesn't seem like uh, you're not like wait what? It's like oh yeah, this goes with the, the others. The larger curveball right now for me on Disney Plus is the Hulu channel in Disney Plus. Yeah, that that was always gonna come right. Like that has to sure yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm glad they're doing that because it's honestly been a thing where it's like I don't understand. You guys already owned Hulu. What do you I, there, I I spent like a good twenty minutes the other night trying to figure out the differences between yeah. what's on Hulu that's on Disney Plus versus what's on Hulu Hulu, mm-hmm. and it's obviously like a rights and distribution thing, right? But like some of the stuff doesn't make sense because like. Shorzy, the Letterkenny spinoff, yeah. is on Disney Plus, but Letterkenny itself, it's which is a Hulu Plus. original, is not on Disney Plus. Yeah, that is weird, and that's absolutely uh, got to be a rights thing. Yeah, I just um, can't well, get my head around it for now. One of the things that's 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 really weird to think about is Hulu is only in America and I, and, and I think Canada, um, but uh, so. Hulu doesn't exist in any in like any of these other major countries. So there's a thing called Star that 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 we don't get in America. I've only recently discovered this. And that's where all the Hulu stuff is for Disney, but it's it's been attached to Disney and that's basically where like mature content went that wasn't Disney appropriate. Interesting. So, where a lot of stuff they make that comes out on Hulu specifically is on a Well, that seems to be changing because there's like a mature content filter now on Disney Plus. Yeah, there's there's a weird there's a whole weird thing is there, you know, Disney like a lot of streaming services, they're still in flux, right? Sure. I mean, nothing beats Paramount Plus including Showtime or whatever it is that they call. <laughs> it. Uh, Paramount Plus with Showtime is now the actual well, name of that streaming service. And that's the weird thing about the Hulu channel inside Disney Plus, right? Is that because of certain distribution deals, there is stuff from a ton of other companies on Hulu, including stuff from like Warner Brothers and Showtime and right, right. Uh, like every other network you can think of. I was surprised to see a bunch of Cartoon Network stuff on there. I was like, oh, I thought Zaslav killed all this. Cool. Yeah, that's well, that's a weird thing too. Is like I'm starting to see like DC movies are showing up like on Amazon because Warner Brothers just selling mm. for parts. So they're like, hey, do you want to buy our movies and stream them on your service? You're like, but don't you have a service? Ah. <laughs> if you go to HBO, if you go to Max right now, the Watchmen show isn't there anymore. No, why? That's insane. Yeah. But it might be on like Netflix. Like it's weird. Yeah. That it, like that's that's the thing that's crazy is they're 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 you know selling the the streaming rights of that stuff. Um. So uh, let's talk about anyway. Because yeah, Doctor, Doctor Who itself is in a weird place because there was you know we talked about the the heights it reached, but it's 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 been kind of in a lull. I don't think it's lost. A, you know. Uh, it was in no danger of not existing anymore, but definitely the most recent seasons have been the worst received, um, both critically and uh, ratings-wise, in the show's run, for or at least certainly in modern era. It's definitely one of those shows that has had to evolve over the years as the creative voices behind it have moved on and shuffled forward. It is not one of those shows that has had a 
supremely consistent uh, creative voice behind it. There is no like showrunner who spans the entirety of the new who era. Um, we get like runs and the way I think about it is all very similar to the way I think about uh, comic book runs, yeah. right? Is you'll have authors who get in there for certain periods of time and can really radically redefine characters or like create superlative uh, consistent runs that people point to and say, oh, this is the good chunk. This is the bad chunk. This is the chunk that had its highs and its lows. Right. And that's kind of where Doctor Who's been at for the last like, I don't know, six or seven years for me. Well, it's interesting because we talked about the relaunch that started and was it 04? Is that when it came back? Uh, 06. Uh, 06. Okay. Was when it came back. And that was under Russell T. Davies' showrunner with Christopher Eccleston playing the Doctor. And then Davies stuck around through David Tennant through the end mm -hmm. of his run. Then when, when, when Tennant left, Davies left and handed it over to Stephen Moffat, who I know I think we have a particular love for the Stephen Moffat you know that's I mean, that, Matt, Matt Smith is my doctor. I don't know what else to say about that. It's an interesting thing because actually, I, I David Tennant is my favorite doctor. But I think in sure. terms of the writing of the show, it was to me at its best under Moffat. Now I love the the like Tennant to Smith to Capaldi, all three of those guys. It you, you're talking about very close in my love for each of them. It's not. It's no radically different uh there so that sure. that that's that's like peak who to me is like tenant through capaldi but specifically mm -hmm. moffat brought this very uh very heady trippy like long he had these long games planned around he had you know there's the season that envelopes back on itself and stuff like that um yeah. and i love a lot so, of that some might say it'd be a little too into itself at times and that was that was why I think there are people who prefer, the the Russell T Davies people thought maybe you know maybe he's getting this guy's a little too clever for his own good. Um, mm. And so interesting that then of course he goes off and creates Sherlock, which is nothing but cleverness on top of cleverness and puzzle boxes and you know. Uh, so it's 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 an interesting thing. I also uh, highly recommend his show Inside Man, which is on uh, Netflix, Moffat's most recent show with David Tennant and Stanley Tucci. Mm. That is oh. really very good. Uh, now it's just a touch of the tooch. Oh, it's it's yeah, it's a touch of the tooch. It's a touch of the tooch, but I will say the tooch is loose as well in it. Uh oh, um, well, the tooch uh, is loose. Tooch is loose because <laughs> he is uh, the pitch for that show is what if the what if Sherlock Holmes but on death row? What if the most genius detective in the world is actually a, a, a killer on death row? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. really, it's very cool. And, and uh, that person is Stanley Tucci. That person is Stanley Tucci, and so okay, okay, okay. He never leaves the prison, so you have to bring him all the clues and everything. And yeah, it's it's very it's very very cool. Um, I highly recommend that. Um, it's a lot of fun. But uh, uh, so then we had I, I when Moffat left with Capaldi, there was sort of a. Not you know Doctor Who's interesting because you know for those obviously if you're watching this you probably are somewhat familiar but the, in baked into the DNA of the show is this idea that it's constantly rebooting itself with these regenerations which is one of those great things that was born out of necessity right because it's like William Hartnell who was the first Doctor his health was kind of failing down the stretch of his run 
And they're like, but the show's still really popular. What do we do? So we made up this thing that the doctor can regenerate into another person. And basically, it's like a lot of stuff I love where it's like out of desperation, they created something that could keep the show running forever. Without yeah. sort of out of like, uh, 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 I don't know, uh, he can regenerate? Is that a thing? Maybe that's a thing, you know? And they've iterated it even still on that concept to the point where, well, we'll talk about it when we get to the giggle. Um, yeah. But like they're continuing to iterate on that particular uh, narrative mechanism. Like a lot um, of sci-fi for stuff. For good or for ill. Like a lot of sci-fi stuff. Once you open a door, it's you know it's sort of like, okay, well then... Can we open it this much more? And it's sort of like, what else can we do? Um, and so it's an interesting thing. So what I'm saying is that there is almost inherently in the design of the show because of these regenerations through the main actors, there's always sort of a softish reboot, right? Every time you yeah. change doctors, even though the continuity is still going. Like that's one of the things that was so crazy about when Russell T. Davies did his reboot, as we're talking about. He didn't really reboot anything. He was just like, "Oh no, the, the, it's just it just it's come back," you know. And and over time, yeah. and especially when we get to the giggle, really diving deep into the history of the Doctor, um, you know, all of it counts. And I think that's one of the most fun things to me about it is, uh, and and we should say I don't know how much classic Who you've watched. I've dabbled here and there. Um, some of it is hard to track down. Some of it doesn't. Yeah. Some of it maybe doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. It's an interesting thing. So it's it's tough in some ways to go back to it. Um, but, you know... It also, I, a lot of it watches, like, black box theater. Yeah, you it's definitely have like, to go in knowing... It's a little bit... It's 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 more of a more of a commitment then. But it's a little bit like going back to the original Star Trek, and you have to put on the mind, you have to put on the goggles of like, okay, they have the resources they have in this time period, right? It's not yeah. going to look like now. Even going back to, like, whenever you see clips of like Eccleston or early David Tennant compared to now, that looks like garbage compared to these look. Like these specials are just like, wow, look how far Doctor Who's come. What's interesting specifically with the comparison to Doctor Who and Star Trek, though, is with Star Trek, you have something like Strange New Worlds that we talked at length about before yeah. being this modernization of the old aesthetic mm -hmm. to make it l still look like sci-fi and futuristic and sort of like move past the constraints that that original show had. Right. Whereas Doctor Who is always got like it, they can improve the look of things and certain like aesthetics and CGI but at, at the end of the day there's still going to be some doofy looking guys in rubber suits every once in a while there, there are, there's a there sort are, of charm to that there are commitments to certain aesthetics and stuff like that right that like take like the Daleks for example where you're like they've polished them up but it's you can still see the whisk and the plunger. You know what I mean? Like it's still like a trash can with a whisk and a plunger attached to it. it. It's been molded into this thing now, but like baked into the very aesthetic of this thing. Just like the idea that he goes around in a spinning police box, right? Like I mean, like there's there's also a Britishness to it. I think that's part of it, right? It's like there's a whimsy to it that isn't present in Star Wars or Star Trek. Take the first episode of these three specials we're talking about, the Star Beast. Star Beast yeah. We have this 
conceit of these like warring alien factions breaking out onto the streets of London and the mm-hmm. doctor and his human friends kind of thrown in the middle of that. Yeah. One of those is one of the most like beautifully executed puppet CGI hybrids I've seen on television in the form of the meep. Like that looked phenomenal. Meep is great. Yeah. And then you have the, the, the Rarth, what are they called? Oh yeah. Um, that are just guys in big bug suits that looks like they could have been from like the day the earth stood still or something. (laughs) They maintain within it. There's also that sort of thing, right? That it's like, as you bring the day, there's just still, and this is something I I, I bring up. uh, That's a little bit, a little bit, the case in Star Trek and a little bit more the case in Star Wars, but particularly Doctor Who is like, it's still born of like 60s sci-fi. Yes. It's still, there's a goofiness to it. We've talked about that on our, because well, we regularly cover Star Wars on the show, of course. And we talk about like, there's always a baked in 70s thing. Like when you go to it, like, oh, well, Imperial guys are going to have like sideburns. And there's always going to be like a little bit of that 70s discotheque kind of thing to the costumes and stuff like that, right? Like there's, you know, Han Solo, there's, there's always going to be a swinging 70s guy to some extent. There's a certain retrofuturism built in. And I think that's less the case in Star Trek a lot of the time. Well, because Star Trek is, of all of these we're talking about, the most like future casting where it's like, no, this is this is futurism from right now, you know. Yeah. And so each thing sort of has its, you know, uh, next generation feels very 1980s vision of Star Trek. But then... Star Trek Picard, which is the same characters, uh, continue to grow with the things, so and now it feels like 2020's vision of the future. Uh, yeah. yeah, it does always feel like, and even like we talked about with Strange New Worlds, which is barring some of the aesthetic, but it's still much more like filtered through the lens of that. Whereas I think Star Wars has a little bit of that 70s thing, and then Doctor Who is very much still doing, you know saucer men yeah exactly right like yeah that's sort of the thing pulp space opera sort of stuff i mean it's very interesting actually i don't know if you saw this but the star beast is actually an adaptation of a doctor who comic from the 1980s oh i didn't know that yeah it's based on um because dave gibbons gets a story by credit who's uh of course Mm. the the artist of uh of uh, watchmen but he did that doctor who comic and they, they, which is kind of a cool thing. And I actually, I'm, it's one of those things where I'm going like, man, when you're making as much as this, why wouldn't you start rating the comics for story ideas? That makes a lot oh, of sense. Or the, the novels. The books too. The, yeah, there's radio the, plays. There's so much of that crap. So much of the, uh, the uh, audio dramas. I mean, my God, that's like a whole separate thing. Doctor Who and the Star Beast. Uh, this was, a, uh, let's see, this was published in 1980. Oh. Three three issue miniseries from February to April of 1980, Doctor Who and the Star Beast. Now this was uh, uh, a Tom Baker adventure in the comics. Mm, okay, yeah, I mean, same and, and, basic plot though. Uh, yes, essentially the idea of of uh, except in the comics, it's beep the meep. Sure. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm assuming all the like noble family stuff isn't there, obviously. No, 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 because it's all, um, it's all in, uh, uh like I said, it's all, yeah. uh, Tom Baker. So it's, it's Tom, it's the fourth doctor and K9, you know, uh, and like Sarah uh, Jane's probably kicking around. Uh, 
Uh, no, it's his. Uh, it's his other one. Oh, it's a different. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I if you're like an a uh, a uh, a long time um, Whovian, I'm sorry. I'm not super well versed in these characters. Like in the in the Giga when they bring back Melanie, the six six and seven Doctor's companion. I'm like, oh yeah, I think I've seen you. So here's how I tend to absorb the older Who stuff is something would come up as a reference point in yeah. the new Who, at which point I would go back and yeah. via like researching online, finding old episodes where I can, that is when I would absorb those older moments and bits. Yes. That's kind of how I feel like because of the giggle, I'm going like, I need to go back and watch the Toymaker episodes from William Hartnell. <laughs> Especially Apparently now you do now, yeah. Well, especially now they know he's played by Michael Goth, who was Alfred in the the Tim Burton mm-hmm. Batman movies, which I'm like, ooh, I love Michael Goth. <laughs> um, I, I have no idea what the take on that is. We'll get to the giggle, obviously, when we get to it. But like, uh, I don't know what that take on one is, but I'm guessing different because this feels so tailor-made for one Neil Patrick Harris. NPH MPH is all over that. It, it might special. be the it might be the most NPH. It's not. I'm not saying it's the best NPH performance. I'm saying it's the most NPH performance. When he invades unit headquarters, yeah. my girlfriend turns to me and says, "Are we eating an NPH dance number? Because that is a thing." Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's wonderful. It's so good, uh, and he <laughs> is having the time of his life in it. He's having way too much fun. Criminal amounts of fun. But, yeah. Let's go back and start with the Star Beast, though. Star Beast. I want to talk about this special as, like, the declaration of purpose for Russell T. Davies coming back, it feels like. Yeah, we kind of got off the track of, like, a lot of people, including myself, were really disappointed by the Chris Chibnall seasons. And the thing that's the biggest bummer to me is I know Jodie Whittaker will take the blame for that. And it's not her fault at all. She's very. She's a very talented actress. There are moments in there where I can absolutely see what an amazing doctor she would have been, but the writing just consistently let her down in those seasons. And also, you could feel they didn't have a take on the show because the show changes pretty radically from season to season in this way of going like, oh, people didn't like what we did. Well, let's do this now. And then it it ends up being... It doesn't, one of the things I think Dave, both Davies and Moffat had... Moffat more put it out front, but Davies also had this is there was a real sense of they knew what they were doing. There was a real sense of, and even now it's so interesting. Davies coming back, he goes, well, I've, I've got the three seasons of this doctor, like figured out, boom, boom, boom. At least like the touchstones of where each sort of the milestones are. And Chibnall's big thing. And this is, you know, I, I get it. Uh, he was coming off of the heat of running Broadchurch, also with David. All roads lead back to David Tennant, I think, at the BBC, <laughs> by the way. Um, but, uh, and that's where Jodie Whittaker also was in that show, too. But, uh, mm-hmm. so, but um, he, his big thing was he goes, I don't want to do the things everybody else is doing. And so his first, one of the first things he said when, when he took over the show was he goes, we're not doing any of the classic films. No Daleks, no Cybermen, none of that shit. And people were like, well, that's not the best attitude to introduce yourself to the fans with. And then his other big thing was, and no Christmas specials. No, we're not doing the Christmas specials anymore. And look, I can give or take a special that is like specifically 
the doctor figures out the true meaning of Christmas. We've sure. had a few of those. We It's yeah. not necessary. But like Die Hard, setting yeah. it at Christmas is not the worst idea in the world. No, it's... But, and like I said, there was just, there was, there, there felt like there was this thing about like, we're going to try to, I'm going to try to fix a thing that's not broken. And it's, it was, it's and, sort and of what it, turned it, me off the first Jodie Whittaker season. Yeah. Is that it seemed like it was becoming this, like, I don't want to say kids show. That sounds way too reductive. Well, no, but there was also, that was another big thing was his, like, he really wanted to put the emphasis more on, we're going to teach history. We're going to, you know, really, yeah, there was a, there was a, I, uh, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm also trying not to, like, I almost said dumbing down. That's not quite, but there was a simplifying of it, right? There was, I don't know. It didn't, it, and the big thing was he, a, a big thing people brought up is he did not hire people with sci-fi backgrounds. Not just, he didn't come from a sci-fi background. The writing staff didn't have a lot of science fiction experience, which doesn't mean you can't write science fiction, but I think it's more indicative in the whole that he seemed to specifically choose a staff of people who didn't come from science fiction. And that's interesting. I'm going to draw a broad comparison, and it (laughs) may be reductive, it may be insulting, but this is how it sort of felt like to me. So you have uh, a movie of something, right? Mm-hmm. You then you have your novelization, yes, which can sometimes enhance the quality of the the movie that originally existed, or sometimes it can sort of like strip it down and be a shameless tie-in. Yes. That is what it is. Below that, and I say again, even saying below, but like the next iteration is the junior novelization right so that is a a thing that i don't even know if they do these anymore but it was definitely a thing when we were coming up oh god yeah i had a bunch of these was they would have novelizations of movies that had like it stripped down and simplified to a way that could be translated to quote-unquote younger audiences right yes yeah that's the Jody Whitaker seasons yeah. felt felt like the junior novelizations of Doctor Who to me. So like I fell off. I ha- I'm going to be perfectly honest. Haven't watched the last three seasons of Doctor Who because I got into I think the Rosa Parks episodes of the uh, of Park the eleventh season. That Rosa and Park I was just like, I yeah. think I'm checking out here, y'all. That's I think a lot of people bring up them checking out with that because actually I think her first episode, the first Jodie Whitaker was not bad. Um, and then the Rosa Parks one was like, uh oh. And then by the time you get into like the one with Chris Noth is the Trump allegory, you know, and it just, I, uh, I, I, I have watched all of it. I still am, um, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. Maybe I'm just, a, but I, I did watch all of her seasons. Um, and also I took it on the thing about like, okay, well, this time they're going to get it together. And then her last season, um, which was called Doctor Who Flux. The whole idea being that it's all going to be one story. Mm-hmm. It still wasn't very good. And he did, I'm not as mad as some people about because the other thing is we know continuity is ever shifting. Backstories are ever getting yeah. at con. So the idea that like Chibnall introduces this entire thing about like, oh, actually Hartnell isn't the first incarnation of the Doctor. And the Doctor was not even a Time Lord, but like this other being that could regenerate and was experimented upon. 
I don't like that storyline, but I don't give a shit either. At the you know, I mean, like I guess what I'm saying is like, uh, and Russell T Davies has taken a, a <laughs> there's a line in the giggle that's his rejoinder to that, and the toy maker has a line saying, "I went back and made a puzzle of your life." And Russell T. Davies has said, he goes, that right there is, he goes, I would never erase somebody else's work. But he said, that is telling you you can take or leave what parts of continuity have been established. So he goes, I, I don't want to take it from those who did like that stuff. That could still be the case. But what I'm just introducing is like, maybe it's not. And this idea of this omnipotent bad guy who can futz with history gives you a big, wide, swinging barn door of yeah. just like, take it or leave it. Yeah. And I think that's the... And the thing is, because there's 60 years, there's stuff that contradicts itself all the time. You can't oh, yeah. put all this together to make the biography of the Doctor. My God, it would be insane. Plus, you add in the comics and the novels and the audiobooks and what's canon. And I haven't listened to it, but you know, Eccleston just came back and did his first audio adventure, which I'm, I, I, I saw do that want, very recently. Yeah. I do want to hear because he, of course, he seems to have made a lot of peace. He's been out promoting the new seasons as well. And I'm going, like, wow, that guy's come a long way. What, what I think has happened is he has made peace with the character and its place in pop culture. I think he probably still holds some grudges against the production team sure. that drove him out of the show. Sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. I think that may be the case as well. But he seems to have like he him and Russell T Davies really did not get along. Well, the the, the we well, I swear we're going to get to these specials, but the history of Doctor Who is so interesting. Uh the, the the time when his first episode aired, they had already announced he was leaving. Yeah. It was it was an instant thing. David Tennant has a story about going over to Russell because he and Russell T. Davis had done another show together. And so they knew each other. And he said, do you want to come over and see the first couple Doctor Who's? And they'd only finished like three episodes. And then he showed him. He goes, would you like to be the doctor? He goes, wait, isn't that guy the doctor? He's like, that guy's not sticking around. And so like they had, they already had David Tennant in place a couple episodes into filming that Eccleston season. There was already wow. trouble. And they he had him in his back pocket as Tennant. Um uh, you know, and it's it's a shame because Eccleston. I look at Eccleston as the Timothy Dalton of uh, Doctor Who, <laughs> right? Where it's like I, he's great. I just I, he didn't he didn't just he didn't get up to running speed yet, right? Like it's just sort of mm. like so that's why he's always sort of this thing about like well he just kind of got cut off. So um, if and if I guess if that's the case, then Paul McGann is the George Lazenby of uh, oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. If he just got the one uh, TV special. And you're like, oh, he could have been good if you had given him a hell of a lot more time. Um, <laughs> so let's get to this. The big thing here is, yes, uh, a, a lot of people feel like, and I think it's it's almost impossible to deny this, that the return of Russell T. Davies and the surprise ending of Jodie Whittaker's season when she regenerated into David Tennant was a distinct, sorry about that, can we get this thing back on track? Because not only do you we get bring back, back, you bring back the who is, he's the, the the fan favorite, the fan favorite, right? He's the he's our generation's Tom Baker, right? Like sort of the the platonic ideal of the Doctor. I feel like the people's Doctor, if you will. Recently, there have been a lot of Magic: The Gathering crossover sets yes. in which they've been crossing over with other big. Uh, franchise IPs. Doctor Who is a recent one where they released a bunch of decks all themed around Doctor Who stuff and 
the way they split it up was they had a deck for the bad guys, a deck for all the old doctors. So like one through eight all had their own deck. Okay. Uh, um, they had David Tennant and or uh, Eccleston and David Tennant and Matt Smith as their own deck, uh-huh. and Jodie Whittaker and um, Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi as yeah. uh, their own deck. Magic does this weird thing where Wizards of the Coast doesn't enforce MSRP on their products so that stores can mark up products as demand increases so that, like, uh, game stores can make more revenue that way, in theory. Yeah. I say all of this is background to tell you that when the David Tennant deck was selling for $20 more than any other one regularly, there's a reason for that. No, there's the, the, he just, there's something about him as that character. I said, he's my favorite because there's just like, well, that's the doctor and everybody's played their thing, but there is something about like, I guess, yeah, once again, I come back to like platonic ideal. If you're going to boil it down, you know, to older people, that's Tom Baker, which I totally get. Mm -hmm. And Tom Baker played in the longest. Nobody else is going to do seven seasons as the doc. You know, he's. Tom Baker is your your like Connery Bond, right? Like where it's just right. sort of like uh, that. That's the thing. But there's no question that yeah, David Tennant has become the one, and also he's the one too who seems to love doing it the most. Not that Eccleston's kind of the only one who really ever like scoffed at it, but it also seems like David Tennant is also. I mean, the, he's the one they brought back for the fiftieth, and now really brought him back for the sixtieth. And also, spoilers abound for this now have him in their back pocket to bring him back whenever they want. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just to FYI, we're going to be spoiling the crap out of these three. Yeah. We already have a little bit. Um, yeah, we but- have. But like, yeah, there, there's there's now... Because I, I, I had a thought watching these when the first one... When watching the Star Beast, I'm going, God, he's so good. And I'm I'm so curious about this new guy who I hadn't seen at that point, of course. But I'm going like, but if there was just some way he could be the Doctor forever... And then I get to the end of that, and I'm going, oh, my God, Russell T. Davies somehow found a way to make him the Doctor forever. Whether we see him or not, mm-hmm. There is they basically are just like, don't you worry, David Tennant is always having adventures in time and space, kids. Well, and we already sort of opened that door when, during the 50th, we had Tom Baker back as yes. uh, the, oh. the curator show up and give us a sly little wink of like, Maybe we'll see some old faces again sometime. We yeah, think. you'll find yourself revisiting some old faces, and I think he has. I think there's some line about like only your favorite ones. <laughs> and you're like, and I there's mean, stuff look, about like Capaldi. They do it later. Acknowledge that he looks like the guy from Pompeii that Peter Capaldi played during the David Tennant yeah. episode. Man, did I wish for like a 60th anniversary st- thing we could get? All of the new Who doctors in yeah. the same place at the same time. Yeah, of course I want that. Well, sure. I mean, because I'm a little collector nerd, and I want that image of all of them on the screen together. Which the 50th did give us that great CGI created shot where they literally had every Doctor assembled side by side. Yeah, and we even got that last shot of just Capaldi's eyebrows at the That's end. The best. No, sir. <laughs> all thirteen of them. Um, it's the best. He's like, yes. Um, but here, the, but, but I also applaud Russell T. Davies for going, I'm going to do something different with this anniversary because yeah. the, the gathering of doctors has been the case going back to the, you know, the 
60s, right? Like when they would do right. the anniversary special used to be called things like the three doctors, the five doctors. That was like a thing. Mm-hmm. Every few years they would get together all the doctors who had done it before. Uh, and it used to be you could get them all because there were only a few and they were all still alive. Um, yeah, but, but uh, like you could very easily, I mean, barring uh, personal uh, stakes in the matter, get everyone except for maybe Eccleston in the yeah. same room at the same time because all the new Who doctors are still around mm-hmm. and kicking. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You you definitely could. Um, they, and they get McGann in there too. He needs some work. Hey, man, I love that little short they did that finally gave him his regeneration into the war doctor that they did for the mm. 50th. I mm. thought that was so cool because it was always like, no, wait, we never got how you get from McGann to Eccleston. Uh, and then, of course, the whole idea is you have a John Hurt stop in between. Yeah. But so now we have now we have this thing starts with coming off of the end of the Flux miniseries uh, mm-hmm. was... Uh, Jodie Whittaker turning into David Tennant, who is now David Tennant is now both the tenth and fourteenth Doctor. Sure, he is. That's, <laughs> that's the, yeah, I know, I know. But like the fact that we're returning to a companion from the tenth and dealing with aftermath of the tenth, while also dealing with aftermath of the thirteenth, it's just like it's timey wimey nonsense. It's Doctor Who at its best. No one in the show is ever going to call him the 14th Doctor, but that's fine. But it makes uh, Shui Gatwa the uh, the 15th Doctor, technically. Yes. Is that how you say his name? Shuti is how I've heard Shuti. it. Shuti Gatwa. Okay. Um, okay. Who, and, and they did still find a way to get us two Doctors in here in this special. So yep. uh, in this last special, which I did appreciate. And I thought they were fantastic together. We'll get to him, though, because I want to, of course, save the 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 talk about for the future let's talk about these though i the thing i love about the star beast of course is classic sci-fi thing seems cute but is actually evil great right and the minute you see the meep you're just like okay so this thing's just the devil right well and it's so because it's so just like i'm the meep right you're just like uh, a little much buddy <laughs> the meep's laying it on a little thick Mm -hmm. Uh, the design of the thing is so cool too because it is it's got these big eyes it's designed to be a plush toy uh mm -hmm. it's even hides itself as a plush toy in one scene with donna's daughter um Mm -hmm. but uh but what i like is they just little subtle changes to it when it turns into its evil form you're like oh fuck (laughs) but it's still like the same basic design it's very cool how they can take something cute and just twist a little bit to suddenly be sinister and great i want to i want to shout out whoever did the voice on that because the voice performance is fantastic the um um, god damn it i gotta find these imdb how they catalog these it's so cecily fay did the puppetry for it okay Um, which great job there uh miriam margoyles oh wow okay classic uh british actor she's been around forever yeah, it's great uh, people would probably know her best as professor sprout from the harry potter movies oh yeah yeah sure yeah i mean look if you were if if you're a british actor who wasn't in the weird we've talked before about the lost generation of british actors too uh was it uh too old to be students too young to be professors mm-hmm. that, uh, <laughs> that appa- apparently they get together those guys and commiserate your tom hardy <laughs> your james mcavoy your michael fassbenders uh, they always talk about how tenants snuck in. Mm, and it found the yeah, one yeah. loophole. 
And then Redmayne cheated by doing Fantastic Beasts. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, no, I thought that was great, though. Because once again, the turn from like, I'm Meep to I will destroy everything is once again, it's still in the same vocal register, but just suddenly turned a little bit. And it's like, oh, God, kill that thing. Send it to hell. <laughs> As it threatens to uh, sink London into a volcano. Good Lord. <laughs> that is one of those... Uh, total Doctor Who things, by the way, when it's like literally like the streets are turning to lava and that's just fine. <laughs> when at the end, it's literally just like the streets resealing themselves and yeah. I say like, oh, that's very nice of that starship to repave the roads. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh, there you go. It's all right. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, everything's all right now. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry, kids. Don't worry. Everything's all right. Nobody died. It's fine. <laughs> it's, yeah, don't worry about it. Okay, it's cool. Uh, uh, but yeah. yeah, this special also marks the return of Catherine Tate as Donna Noble. That was uh, a big fan, thing. fan favorite companion. Fan favorite companion, and and certainly the that felt the most like because that was the final companion for Russell T Davies' run, and it really mm-hmm. that felt the most like not only am I bringing David Tennant back, but bringing Catherine Tate back as Donna really had this feeling of like. Uh, Oh, Russell D. Davis is going, where did I leave off? Let's see. Let's see. I'm back. All right. I'm just going to pick up. Not, I mean, yes, pick up the seeds of everything Moffat and Chibnall did, but really just kind of turn it back to when I last ran the show. I find it interesting that, so in the, in the giggle, we have the toy maker kind of running down the grim fates of many of the companions yeah. Uh, since Donna great scene, great and scene, by the way, love that scene. And it uh, felt like a purposeful dig from Davies to Moffat to not <laughs> mention Martha at all. Even like, why wasn't Martha? Because she was was she before? She's a Davies companion. Yeah, then where is she at in that? Well, she she before or after Martha? Mar- Martha, it's it goes Rose, Martha, Donna. Then Amy, Clara, uh, Bill. I get confused because the Runaway Bride thing happens. Yeah, uh, before she, Martha shows up. He, that that's a weird one. Yes, that's a weird one because they did the special with Catherine Tate. Then they do the Martha season. Then Catherine Tate comes back in the Adipose episode because you have that great yes. scene where she recognizes him. Um, yes. Also, the other thing is these two work together a lot. David Tennant and Catherine Tate, not just in Doctor Who. And you can really feel that because their chemistry is instant. The second they're in a scene together, there's just that that impossible to to fake thing, right? That those two just crackle together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really yeah. played. I, I I recommend once again, if you're any level of Shakespeare fan, go watch their. They, there's a film version of their uh, their uh, take on Much Ado About Nothing that is just mm. absolute goddamn delight with those two. Uh, they're fantastic <laughs> in it. Um, believe it or not, those two but, were very, very charming. But when we yeah. last left Donna Noble, she had sort of like the tragic need to walk away from the Doctor ending that a lot of companions get. Where yeah. she has this whole setup where if she ever, she has her memory erased and if she ever remembers the Doctor, she'll die. Yeah, she basically, I mean, it's, it's a crazy sci-fi thing that I'm about to say, but like, she basically like, absorbs the entirety of the knowledge of Gallifrey, right? Like, that's the thing where it's like, she is mm-hmm. she is all Time Lords at the same time. And the only, and, and that level of knowledge in a human being will just destroy them. So 
yes, her memory is erased. And if she's ever reminded of the doctor, then that will come back and she'll die. Yeah. And, and it's a, this... it's a classic. Never forget how fucking sad Doctor Who is. Um, oh, Doctor Who is always the saddest. It's so um, sad. Yeah. Even when he gets a happy ending in which he, David Tennant, technically gets to have a happily ever after with Rose. It's yep. not the David Tennant we keep following. Oh God, that's such a good, that was, that was, oh man. I, <laughs> I, I am reminded once again, watching this, it's just like, God damn, Davey so gets the vibe of Doctor Who. And watching these again, mm-hmm. it is that thing about like, well, what? I Sometimes I can't even fully put my finger on it. I think you're getting close with that junior novelization comparison, but there is something about like, what is Davies doing that Chibnall wasn't doing? That like Davies and Moffat got at something in different ways, but Davies gets that, that he really just gets the character and, and the world of Doctor Who, right? I think. And that, that ending is so perfect where it was just like, oh no, I, no, I give the Doctor a happy ending. It's just not, it's not your Doctor. You're going to yeah. keep following the sad Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> because he is always the lonely god, right? That sort of thing, right? Is always is just this this guy who can't who loves humanity so much but can't ever be part of it. Well, and that's why I found the ending of the giggle so interesting and how that's sort of a refutation of that in a certain way and how what the 15th doctor might bring if you sort of resolved some of those issues. He he gets he gets to have it he gets to have his cake and eat it too right he gets to be yeah. a retired guy while also the world still gets the universe as, as it were of all of time and space still has the doctor to protect it and I, a lot of people talk f- about is is Shudi Gatwa's doctor going to be considerably different is he freed of some of the emotional right. baggage of the other doctors is in some ways this a clean slate. I think that's the way it's being written as. Uh, I mean, just based on... Uh, did you see that you saw the trailer for his Christmas special? The start? Um, no, I have not. There's So there's this thing where he's like in a club and he's dancing with his arms out like free. And it's sort of like, oh yeah, this is, this is maybe going to be a freer doctor. Of course, as we know, a doctor free to gain more emotional baggage as his stories go. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but it does almost feel like the beginning of that trailer where he sort of dancing in this club blissfully with his arms wide open i was like oh that makes so much sense coming off of the end of this here's a guy who's just like hey man i'm the doctor and it is great to be the doctor <laughs> and even the way he shows up and bring that, on the emotional trauma yeah man it's only gonna get worse from here um uh, how well, many space devils do i need to talk to this year but the other thing I liked about uh, so cause, uh, talking about because it's it's very tempting to jump to the end of that obviously uh, it's from the Star Beast to uh, is it the Wild Blue Yonder is the uh, yeah I do want to stick to the Star Beast really quickly because yeah. I want to get your take on what do you think of the resolving oh. the whole Donna like she might she would die if she remembered re- Doctor Ending they I... basically like get rid of it. I like, well, I mean, it was that was always going to happen, right? Like, I, I don't, sure. it's yeah. so interesting. I've seen a lot of people just go like undoing one of the great things, but he undoes it in a very Doctor Who way, which is Doctor Who is is a is a show about an alien, right? Who basically always is marveling at humanity, though, right? Like that's the whole yeah. thing. And so the idea that the resolution is you share this power with your offspring 
is so purely Doctor Who to me, right? Like it's this idea yeah. of like together we can, you know, weather this thing. We can handle this. And that's so much about the, because there's also the whole running thing. And this was a big part of Davies run where it's like the doctor shouldn't be alone. The doctor gets very dark and starts becoming that God figure if he's not balanced by a human companion. And so I think that that's, that's that there's always this thing about community and family and, you know, uh, empathy in doc. That's key to doctor who. So, he was always going to resolve the 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 idea that the idea because it's like what they were make three specials and Donna wasn't gonna they weren't gonna have to reckon with that um, and so but I thought he did it in a very smart way that didn't feel like it was just like well it's undone now yeah in the same way that like the pavement is resealed uh, when the alien ship is turned right. off no it's like it's like there are actual things it's like well okay because it w- the other thing that's great about it being the the daughter is. It's not a thing that was just like, why didn't they just do this before then? Because she wasn't around, right? It's yeah. sort of like a thing that's, that's happened. But what I really liked about it is that it gave us this in in the second special, Wild Blue Yonder, yeah, where Donna can have this like level of empathy for the Doctor yeah. now that she didn't before. She's that I found really, really interesting. She's seen the world the way he sees it to a certain extent, right? Yeah. She's contained all that knowledge within her. Um, it's one of my favorite moments in any comic ever is in All-Star Superman when Lex mm. Luthor gets Superman's abilities briefly and he's like, oh my God, I get it. When I'm seeing the world on like a molecular level, holy shit. I'm, and he's basically just like, I am so sorry I treated you this way because the burden of this is incredible uh and so i do like that as as well yeah where it's like oh now she sees what what it is to be a time lord in Mm -hmm. this sort of eternal because i mean that that that's it it's the inherent tragedy of any immortal character right is always that people around you will live and you won't you know or die and you won't and you're eternal Especially, and something that they starts in Wild Blue Yonder, but is really driven home in the giggle, is this idea that since the Time War, which is like the big MacGuffin of an event that happens yes. in between Old Who and New Who. Yes. Uh, that has been touched on countless times, and we got a whole 50th anniversary special kind of explaining the Doctor's role in it as the guy who made the hard choice to, like, kill both sides, basically, to stop the war. I mean, the, never forget the doctor did make the logical jump to genocide. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, and and it weighs on him. He didn't do it lightly. Um, but then no. to kind of go back and and not undo it per se, but like find another option that's sort of a because like Gallif the whole thing about Gallifrey stands and stuff like that is like yeah, but it's also trapped in time forever. So it's sort of like a this is. <laughs> It's a, it was a compromise still. Yeah, yeah. There was no good way out of it because, look, Time Lords are fucking awful. On yeah, the I mean, there's one of the things <laughs> I love about Doctor Who is that it comes down to, like, I think he's the only actually good Time Lord. Because when we get him with um, like Timothy Dalton in The End of Time, which is fucking great, mm-hmm. of course, uh, speaking of James Bond. Um, but, uh, th- yeah, there's there's definitely this thing about, like, the Doctor's kind of the only Time Lord who, like, has humanity 
Which makes well, sense. And the only why, drawn to, why he's drawn to humanity so much. The only other one that we've had any significant amount of time with is the master. <laughs> yeah, the fucking worst ever. And I will say is one of the th- one of the because I was shitting on the Chibnall seasons, which deserve it in my opinion. But their master is very good. I, that's the only thing I will say is the because uh, it was the same guy who played um, uh, the villain in Iron Fist was a Steel Serpent. Mm-hmm. That guy's fucking great, and he was a great cool. master. There's a couple good episodes in there. I'm not gonna say the whole thing is like garbage, but it generally doesn't work. But there are there are a few good episodes, and I like that two parter with the master. Um, well, and it definitely seems like we might get a return of Missy based on well the uh, as we should. shot we get at the end of the the giggle. I love Michelle Gomez so much as that character. Um, yeah. she's wonderful. So I am always on board for more of her. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, so the Star Beast, I I I thought they did a really good job of resetting uh Davy's stuff. And it also feels like and, and they kind of even allude to this, right? Sort of like, why come back as the tenth doctor if not to resolve that? Right? Like it's sort of yeah. like David Tennant's doctor returned because there was unfinished business for that character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, and they drive that point home in Wild Blue Yonder and the Giggle in a big way. Let's talk about Wild Blue Yonder a little Wild bit. Blue I Yonder. like that it is sort of just a bottle episode. I like this a bottle episode, and it's it's it's, it's a weird Doctor Who episode, right? Like I feel like yeah. with each of these, you get sort of the like cute slash creepy alien episode. You get the big super villain episode in three, and then this is like the weird little bottle episode one that's just like bizarre. And kind of creepy. I mean, Doctor Who also, that's the thing. It's like, the two things I always point out is like, don't forget, like, Doctor Who's whimsical and fun stuff. But it's also sad and it's also scary. Yeah. One of the episodes that people point to as like, okay, take your barometer on Doctor Who by this is Don't Blink, right? The the first Weeping Angels episode. Yes. And it's weird to point people to that episode in abstract because it is an episode that ostensibly barely has the doctor in it there's a couple things like this because the other one i always think of uh people bring up star trek with city on the edge of forever which is the time travel one and people always mm. bring that at the show talk about the same way they talk about the, the blink episode and uh uh and i'm always just like well these are like two of the best examples two of the best entries in these shows but both are really very different and don't capture the like aesthetics of the show but yes uh, by the way the blink uh, of course being a uh, um a Stephen Moffat script. Because uh, that's the thing is, even during the Russell T Davies, if you look at if I was to list my favorite episodes, they're all the Moffat written ones. Science in the Library is also <laughs> one I fucking love. Uh, Girl in the Fireplace. Um, yeah. yeah, it's all yeah. It's like Moffat just I I I think I most I'm just in sync with his vision of what can be done in this setting and world and stuff like that. So because um, that's the other thing is well, I think that's another thing too, right? Is from Davies to Moffat, Moffat was already a major creative hand. So I do think that's why you see a huge difference when you go to Chibnall, because now he's just an outside force, whether you like what he did or not. But it makes sense that like Moffat and Davies were working together. So the switch from Moffat to Davies is sort of like a slight calculation, right? There's a smoother handoff there. Because yeah. Moffat was already so entrenched in 
Doctor Who that his voice already existed in the chorus that created yeah. the show. It didn't feel like, whoa, this is a completely live show. You're like, oh no, it's like leaning into this flavor that was already there. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Chibnall is just like, I'm doing something completely different. And I think regardless of whether it worked for you or not, there is a distinct like, whoa, okay, this is a different yeah. show. Um, but no, yeah, Wild I, Blue Yonder definitely feels like a Moffat yes. episode in some ways where it's just like, okay, we're dealing with like abstract horror concepts that like once you actually think about suddenly you have all this existential dread you didn't know was there before there's always something inherently like primally upsetting about a doppelganger right looking at you that's not you is just disturbing and then to further add the like weird body horror of it of like and even physically it's not quite right and also, get the arms right. I love oh. my, my arms too long. The, also, the moment when you have Donna and the doctor talking to each other, you're like, well, this is weird. They're in, and then you realize they're both talking to the other one, but across the spaceship from each yeah. other. So cool. So classic. Like, I love when Doctor Who does stuff like that. And it's they're, in its very clever sort of singular sci-fi concepts that are in each episode. They can always do stuff like this. Like, oh, we me on that one yeah uh and, and that give us like singular creepy moments like trying to figure out the little mysteries of everything that's happening the the skeleton of the captain outside the ship mm-hmm. and like the whole idea that thinking faster makes these things better copies and that's the thing that the doctor does most that's also <laughs> so cool because we always expect him to think his way out of situation the doctor's great you know power is his mind right that it's always going to be yeah. always going to be the most clever way to get out of it and that's the fun of watching it it, it ha- i mean it makes sense that it also did sherlock because there's a similarity in that of sort of the celebration of the intellectual hero in these things um mm-hmm. but so yeah the idea about like wait what if what if that can be turned against him um is really cool and 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 then of course just all the doppelganger fun of the the boiling down, this isn't literally the thing, but like the which one do I shoot? Which one do I believe? How do I know I'm talking to the real person? Um, I love also the, we talked about the arms, but when the thing about like, oh, the thing I brushed off me, that doesn't go away. Mm, when he that. drops the tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't just go away. It stays there. Uh, like, it's, yeah. The, the, they the couldn't way. figure out object permanence. The other thing, once again, is what fun for David Tennant and Catherine Tate to get to play their characters and then weird versions of their characters trying to act like them. Yeah, that's a fun acting game just by itself. Well, because that's the other thing too, is they're basically the only two actors in that episode. So, uh, thank God you have people as talented and charming as David Tennant and Catherine Tate that they, they can do that. Well, don't forget, uh, mixed-raced Isaac Newton that made the internet go oh, fucking ballistic God, for 24 cares? hours. Who cares? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, Davies responded to that. Did you see him talk about that? No. Or he just goes like, he goes, uh, well, this is, uh, this is Doctor Who's version of history, and he goes, I'd like to think in the Doctor Who version of history, things are more diverse. So, you know, it's, <laughs> he's basically going like, Doctor Who lives in a better world than us. <laughs> uh I will I do want to mention that actor who played Isaac Newton in that episode briefly, uh Nathaniel Curtis, Wonderful. only because 
he is the lead voice in a uh, animated show on Netflix that I am going to highly recommend, and that is Captain Laserhawk. Uh, I have not heard of Captain is Laserhawk. I love the title. Captain Laserhawk. Uh, the, the subtitle is a Blood Dragon remix. So if you ever played Far Cry Blood Dragon, oh, this did. is a show that takes like the basic concepts of that and remixes it some. Oh, okay. um, well, I need to watch this because I love Blood so, Dragon. So yeah, I didn't, Nathaniel I Curtis plays Captain Dolph Laserhawk. Oh, okay, okay, I do need to watch this. Uh, here's the thing about netflix they make so much stuff that it's very easy for stuff to just like disappear yeah it's a gonzo bonkers cyberpunk nightmare of a show and i love it i'm in oh he was in uh it's a sin which was russell t which is a russell t davies show so that makes sense Ah, okay yes okay that makes a lot of that was the show of russell t davies that was his most recent show uh which also had neil patrick harris in it Let's bring us straight to the giggle then. I, <laughs> like, Wild Blue Yonder, there's a lot of fun stuff there, but it is a very simple, straightforward episode. It almost feels like it's, it, 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 by having the three specials, he got to reset the, 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 the stage with his first one. He's, he gets to, to hand off to the, what the, the next part of Doctor is going to be the third one. And the second one is just Doctor Who fun. Like, it's just like, yeah. I just want to do, that's like a mid season Doctor Who bit of weirdness. Yep, yep, um, it, felt, it felt really good and natural and just like, okay, this doesn't need to be a part of a bigger story. You could watch Wild Blue Yonder as just a one-off Doctor Who adventure. It doesn't matter. could have happened 10 years ago. Yes, absolutely. And that was what was so fun. It was just nice to see David Tennant like in a, in a Doctor Who one-off. So then that gets us... Yeah. Well, the end of Wild Blue Yonder, of course, has Donna and the Doctor returning to modern-day London, but everything's gone to hell. We do get one final appearance from Wilfred, which just filled me with joy. Yeah, Bernard Cribbins for his last performance yeah. at the end of that episode. And he was wonderful, as always. What a delightful character. Um, yeah, and, and but that takes us into the world of chaos we find in The Giggle, though we open in the 1920s. With the invention of television, which is purely <laughs> Doctor Who, right? Like in yeah. in television, the medium the Doctor exists in is hidden. The secret of the mystery of this villain that, and why the world is going insane now. <laughs> so much fun. What do you think of Neil Patrick Harris as a character within Doctor Who? Is he too much... This is always a thing with like actors whose names have become synonymous with the characters they play, right? Like yeah. NPH sort of broke out of his Doogie Hauserness yeah. with Harold and Kumar go to White Castle by playing a insane version of himself. That that, that is, character then translates into Barney Stinson okay, and How I Met Your that's Mother. Like the turning point that then starts like the whole second half of his career. Uh, and I remember him talking about that. I, I I love that he was just like because I had made peace with I was just going to be Doogie forever, and I can do Broadway, and that's like that's my life. I'm okay with that, you know. Like, um, but yeah, I he has an he has kind of a miraculous career because Doogie Hauser would be the end for most people. For most yeah. actors, that would be it. Uh, it's little mm -hmm. that we know the man has um a, a, an inhuman amount of talent, like the the <laughs> equivalent talent of ten people, uh, and can mm -hmm. do anything. Um, but you're talking about, is he uh, too much of an icon? Is the potential that he's too much of an icon unto himself? Yeah. Does he overwhelm 
Doctor Who by simply being NPH? I would say not in how he's used here. Because okay. character is overwhelming. The character this is true. of the Doctor. I think it, 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 it's the perfect use of him. And also, he's a guy where it's one of those things where there are very few... I, I, I was saying this to somebody. I'm going, he's one of the only people... He's one of the only American actors I could think of who could play the Doctor, in my opinion. Mm, he actually fits so well in this world. Because they don't. it's not like they get a lot of American stars in Doctor Who that's, that's known for that. That's the other thing is just like this is one of the few instances I can think of where a highline American actor has shown up in a Doctor yeah. Who special or episode at all. Yeah, I can't think of hardly any that, that have ever done it. I mean, you know, like like a known person because Barrowman's one of the few. And even Barrowman's a weird like UK American uh, yeah. you know, mutt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'd appreciate that description. Oh, I'm sure he'd say something cheeky. He's a delightful man. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I, but I think that that's the thing about it is, and even in the show, like I said, he's the, when he's introduced with this insane German accent and then the, literally a character of the show is like, your accent's slipping. Like there's, I just, I thought he was so good in this. I love his he can be creepy. I sort of love his late in career now transition to villain roles because uh, those who he's very fucking creepy in, in David Fincher's Gone Girl and uh, and uh, the Matrix Resurrections. I was going to say Matrix Resurrections. We just saw him playing the new you know version of the Architect in that, um, yeah. which he was I thought was fantastic in. Um, I haven't watched his show Uncoupled. That's the new sitcom he does uh, over on Showtime. Um, but I'm sure he's. I say mm -mm, only because I haven't seen it either. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're making a second season of that right now. So I'm, I'm. That's that's one of those things on my very long list of shows I need to watch, uh, including the aforementioned "It's a Sin," the Russell T Davies show. <laughs> Two shows I have not seen that he's in. But uh, I loved him in this. I thought he was, and like I said, he's having so much fun, which so fits the toy maker who seems to be having. So much fun being a supervillain. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like that—that's the thing. Is uh, only compared, I think, to say the master. Have we usually gotten just straight up monologuing supervillains in yeah. Doctor Who? And really, the toy maker different than the master. This one really feels like, oh, this is the Doctor's Joker. This is the guy who's chaos. I would actually compare him more to uh, Mr. Mitzelplek because he does have rules that he has to follow. I did when he was defeated. I also thought Mitzelplek because the way he goes out is a very Mitzelplek uh -huh. uh, ending for him. He's literally folded up flat and put in a box. Um, yeah. And he, does, <laughs> he was he like, sort of "You have to spell my name backwards away from being that character." God damn it! If Superman doesn't always get him to say his name backwards, it just. <laughs> It just every time, man. I don't know. You would think he's, he's like he's not gonna do it, and then yep, it was that's the case. Uh, so I love this. I also love. We see a little bit of unit in in um, Star Beast. We get a lot of unit in this, and I love unit. Um, you love getting a lot of unit, John. Ah, uh, yes. I'm not afraid to say that. I'm comfortable with myself. Uh, <laughs> okay, just making sure. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I Look, I love a lot of unit just as much as the next guy. Who Give does? me all the unit. Get it all up in there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. 
Well, I don't know if I'd say if I'd use that exact wording, but hey, to each their own. Um, but uh, why not, John? I I would like an unlubricated amount of unit, just like as much as you can. <laughs> I didn't see any lubrication around in this unit. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, Jesus Christ! Now, 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 you've completely thrown me off. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh no! So yeah, oh, through unit we get uh, another character who's very popular with the assholes on YouTube. Uh, this is the uh, Shirley Bingham, the the wheelchair using uh, uh, scientist character. No, no oh, she no was in the Star her. Beast as well. Yeah, yes, yeah, we saw her, and now she's back in this. Uh, along That's, uh, with... Ruth Madeley is yeah, the I actor. She, she was delightful. I, I hope there's yeah. more of her in the in the coming season. Uh, and then Gemma Redgrave uh, back as Kate Lethbridge Stewart uh, mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. legendary Redgrave acting dynasty. Um, uh, we also have a return of Bonnie Langford as, uh, Melanie Bush, who, like you said, is a doctor's companion who, let's be honest, you and I probably a little unfamiliar with, but is, uh, seen her in images of those seasons and maybe, yes. uh, maybe, because like I said, I have, de- I have seen at least a smattering of each doctor, but I, I can't say that I've really, but yes, she was the sixth, uh, a companion for the sixth and seventh doctor. So Colin Baker and mm-hmm. Sylvester McCoy. Um, she's very charming in the, uh, you know. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I, 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 by the way, go back and look at her hair because holy crap, the eighties did a number on her hair in those episodes. Um, <laughs> well, look, the eighties did a, a number on a lot of people. But. Well, I'll just say, go back and just look at what, those who aren't familiar with the Six Doctor. Just look at Colin Baker's outfit. Good Lord. Um, Cocaine was Doctor, a hell of a drug. We all know this. Even by Doctor Who standards, the Six Doctor's outfit is a bit too much. Um, uh, was was he the one with the, uh, the question mark cane? No, that's Sylvester McCoy. He's the one who has the, the, the coat and suit that are all different patterns. It's like a rainbow. Ah, yeah, 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 color. yeah. yeah. Um, no, the, the, the question mark cane is awesome. And that is Sylvester McCoy. And I do like his outfit. Um, but, Sorry, so, but only one character should have a question mark cane. And that's the Riddler. <laughs> uh, Biggest problem I have with the Batman. <laughs> is where's his question mark cane? Hey, I'm saying. Brandon Jones is still wanting to know where the penguins umbrella is in that movie too. So, um, equally important. <laughs> Uh, so yes, uh, the, we, we get the toy maker who it, it's always so cool to do that classic thing of where you have the doctor be like, Oh God, I know what this is. And suddenly, Run. yeah, when he's scared of it, um, good Lord. And yeah, th- there's something so fun always about the super villain who loves being evil. Like this guy just loves yeah. what he does. He's just, mm-hmm. he's just such a bastard. <laughs> And you could almost write it off as, oh, he doesn't understand what he's doing because he's just like this elemental concept of play. But he is reveling in a certain amount of uh, devilishness when he's like turning people into puppets. And and it's very Doctor Who. Because one thing is that, and this is you talking about the idea of it being, there's a level of, uh, there's like a weight to this that doesn't, it's not a kid show. That moment when he like turns a guy into into like colored balls, and they're like, "What happened?" The doctor just goes, "He's dead." Like, there's just yeah. it's not it's not like a cute it's like that's like a whimsical way to dispatch a guy. But the doctor's being like, "I'm sorry, those people are gone for good. They are dead." 
<laughs> they got turned into balls. Yeah, it's like this is not like a temporary thing. This is like no, that he's he's murdering people. Because um, yeah. yes, we talked about his entrance into the the unit headquarters to a Spice Girls song. It was a little much, but I appreciated it. Well, because once again, I like that because the toy makers a little much. Yeah, <laughs> and we get. The cr- the like line four between different costume changes with the toy maker. Oh yeah, the line between fun and evil on this guy, where it is like there's 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 a a, a, a murderous. He's having homicidal fun, like yeah, enjoying it too much, which makes it all the creepier. Yeah, no, I mean the Joker comparison isn't not apt. No, it definitely like personality wise, he definitely has the Joker vibe to him and once again it's all about chaos it's like i'm just gonna make everyone go mad yeah because his whole master plan is he's he's embedded this like wave form into every single screen on the planet and now that everyone is so deeply entrenched and connected it has activated this thing that has been on broadcasts since broadcasts started and it's making everyone believe that they are correct which i think is such a good like doctor who villain like destroy the world plan right Mm -hmm. we've seen so many of those like you brought up the adipose earlier just like oh everyone obsessed with weight loss and like what if the weight you lost was the bad guy that's something i think particularly (laughs) davies run of of who does because you also had the um speak when we were talking about the master when it was john sims master and the whole thing with the satellite networks was a similar thing, right? Where it's like suddenly it invoked this rage in people and things like that, right? Where it's like, yeah, there he's definitely a guy with his finger on the pulse. Russell T. Davis is an interesting writer because a lot of his other stuff is very pointedly political. So I think it makes mm-hmm. sense that he finds ways to get that into Doctor Who without it feeling as clumsily. I do think we talked about you talked about dipping out after that Rosa Parks episode. And I think that was an example of Chibnall trying to talk about something. But people also bring up tough when Doctor Who deals with American history, just because it's so British. But like that was another episode where it's like, shame on you, racism. And you're like, yes, that is a bad thing, but this is very clumsily written. And I think yeah. that Davies finds a way to, in, in in a lot of the best science fiction, it's one of the things I think both of us really respond to in the genre, is when it's like, oh, you're talking about a thing without talking about it. And it's something Roddenberry always talked about in Star Trek. He goes, I can be so much more upfront about stuff if I just make it an alien race. But I'm literally completely talking about Vietnam. And it, and sure. the network's yeah. going like, yeah, but it's a like gleep glop. So no, it's not saying it's fine. It's like television producers have blinders in some way that like, okay, if we had a discussion about what makes trans people vibrant and, you know, just like, uh, people, God forbid, uh, if you just said that out loud in a, a show, a producer would be like, oh no, too political though. I do find it interesting that that is basically how the Star Beast ends, and they're not subtle about it at all. Oh, um, and believe me, some once again, some people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, and there are some assholes out there who are always going to get angry when you try to treat other people as people and not yeah. as the uh, <laughs> political caricatures that uh, certain media yeah, environments have taught them uh, to think. We, we talked about not wanting to get too much into this, but it's such an interesting thing that uh, that uh, that that you bring that up because. 
I, I saw I somebody talking about this, and it wasn't even about Doctor Who specifically. It was just you know there are people just people doing jackass online, and they're talking about like these franchises. The big problem is they're trying to put in all this political messaging, and I was thinking like, you know, far be it from me, but like I mean like in, the, the 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 fundamental breakdown between these their opinion and mine is. I don't think the presence of a black character or a trans character is a political message. Like just them being included in a plot. That's not a political statement. And and to them, they're like, whoa, these politics. It's like, well, that's just a person who's a type of person who exists. Like they didn't. Yeah. There's there's even the even the, the trans character that is Donna's daughter, there's a couple lines about it, but it's it's not like the overwhelming point of that story by any means. Well, they do, like, really drive it home at the end of the episode when they say, like, if she wasn't a trans woman, then maybe she wouldn't be able to encapsulate all the things that make up a Time Lord because they're not bound by the same rules of, like, gender yeah, and dimorphism mean, that humans are. Still, even, like, maybe that's just a, that's a thing that that, that that person connects to on a level. I don't know. Like, yeah. like I said, I just think it's so interesting when it's just like, yeah, the political statement of just including diversity and stuff is like that's not that's that's not political no, it, to me it's it's not political people who make it political are the ones who are trying to force trying to create a political situation out of someone's simple existence and that including them somehow creates this statement that they are struggling to understand because they don't want those people yeah to i know it's, it's 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 wild to me yeah yeah uh, <laughs> and moving on. Anyway, uh, there's no, our soapbox. Moving on. What I'm saying, I think that that the 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 just that the, the idea that there is this kind of dialogue happening is the key to the 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 toy maker episode, not what the actual political statements are. Just the idea that people get so ingrained in this, and the idea that you could weaponize that as a supervillain is a great science fiction conceit. Absolutely. This idea that, like, the toy maker, the ultimate game is being right. And so the toy maker makes it so everyone thinks they're right and thus inciting chaos and madness. And then is there a more Doctor Who fitting ending than it comes down to a game of catch with a toy ball? <laughs> like, that's so I love whimsical. the two games they play in the episode are. High card, cut the deck. Yeah. The simplest card game you could possibly yeah. do. And catch the ball. Uh, by the way, I'm going to be trivia. Would like, uh, would like you to know that being an accomplished magician, Neil Patrick Harris did all of his own card work. I was curious about that. And when I saw him shuffling the deck, I was like, is that a hand model? Or is that just MPH? Because I know he can do that sort he of performed stuff. performed all of the card tricks himself. Of course he did. That's yeah. amazing. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things that's, that's most delightful about Neil Patrick Harris. What a fucking nerd he is, and he's a magic nerd. Possibly the nerdiest thing there is to be it a nerd might about. Be yeah, it is. And and uh, I also have an affinity for close up magic, so I enjoy all that stuff, all the flourishes and everything he does. He's very good. Um, but yeah, that it that it comes to that, and then yes, at the end. And, and it connects back. It's very well written, of course. Well, it's very good. But the whole idea that, like, oh, well, the first toy ever was the ball. And so it's like, well, let's just, both of those, let's get these to the simplest thing you can do with cards. And then the simplest idea of a game of catch for the fate of the universe. And there's this whole conceit they include that, like, okay, 
all gamesmanship is done in a two out of three basis that's so like primeval and perfect yeah. and so in order to have a, a the best two out of three at the final third game you need two doctors to do it which is yes because that's the thing of course is that uh we all i mean i was sort of watching this as, as we all knew this was going to hand off to the the next doctor so of course anytime we go into regeneration you're like what's going to happen what's going to set up our regeneration and Russell T. Davies plays with our expectations, of course, because he knows we know that. And so you have in the final confrontation uh, between the toy maker and the doctor, the uh, the 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 toy maker has gotten his hands on the gigantic laser weapon that's on <laughs> Unit Tower. Yeah, sure. Of course, and he's in an old timey like World War One fighter pilot outfit because once again, very theatrical villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just shoots the doctor through the chest with his giant laser cannon. And you're like, oh, very striking, yeah. just on a cinematography level, very striking image. Absolutely. And the way that, God, I mean, we almost haven't talked about David Tennant because it's just so, like, in some ways. David Tennant is the doctor. He hasn't lost a step. No, he slips that back on and he's, uh, uh, he's just perfect in the role. But the way he like bends back and takes that laser beam blast is also such a great piece of physicality. And then, yeah, he starts regenerating. And you're like, oh, no, the, we're going to lose the David Tennant doctor. And then we get the concept of instead of a regeneration, it's a bi-generation. Mm-hmm. It's a first. And I love the whole idea about like, but we always heard this was a myth. <laughs> and like, I'd be curious to go back into any Doctor Who and see it like has this ever been mentioned before? Probably not. No, because there are some Doctor Who fans calling foul on this, of course. But that's the same thing about like the Star Wars fans who are upset about force projection in Last Jedi. It was like, you can't do this, like, just because we haven't seen anyone do it doesn't mean and also like to keep things going, you have to keep introducing new facets to powers and stuff, right? Like Well, and wasn't it at the end, wasn't he only supposed to have 13 regenerations? So yes. Matt Smith should have been the last Doctor right, by but they, Doctor rules? They, due to the crack in time, all the other Time yeah. Lords give him their regeneration, so he has infinite now, like, basically. Uh, yeah. yeah, yes. I mean, they've been... They, They're rewriting these rules as, on the fly, like always. Of course, yes. Uh, yes, This is, I am confirming via the uh, the Doctor Who wiki that uh the tardis wiki that um this is the first ever mention of it okay yeah but anyway i like this idea that like okay non-linear regeneration as a concept is super fun to me because it just gives us more opportunities to play with extra doctors right and they did that a little bit in the last couple of seasons from what i understand uh with like the fugitive doctor yes that was that that was what i was talking about earlier with the whole idea of uh that being the doctor before william hartnell Mm -hmm. and like there actually being more to it than than it seemed um and i said yeah but that's and and that's that's great i mean seeing doctors interact with these like i said we expect out of an anniversary special and it's always fun. And also, as a fan of it, number one, I love the visual of where they were still, like, only partially split. <laughs> Gave me a very uh, Zaphod Beeble Brock's vibe sure. when they were, like, halfway through. And, uh, but, uh, but then I also love the moment of when they both turn on him and it's like, oh shit, you're fucked now, Toymaker, you got two doctors. My favorite part of their split mm-hmm. is that they split the wardrobe as yeah. well. And so the uh, doctor doesn't have pants. 
doesn't have pants, uh, but he did get the shoes. David Tennant doesn't have shoes anymore. Yep. He only has the undershirt and the vest, yep. whereas 15th Doctor got the overshirt and the tie. So clever and so Doctor <laughs> And I will say right away, Shudigawa, I, I thought, was delightful. And I immediately went, oh, I like this doctor. He's a scamp. This guy's a scamp. <laughs> and uh, people brought this up. And a flirt. My God. There were a couple of moments where I thought the two doctors were going to kiss. <laughs> I do. I I love the. I love. Well, we'll talk about it, the very tender moment between them, where it is like, it's like, dude, I get you because I am you. Like that. Yeah. yeah. That there is this bond between them. But yeah, there. He's. I mean, he's. He definitely feels of the Matt Smith mold. He's a younger actor. He's only thirty-one, uh, and and there's a youthful exuberance to him. That I are, that I can already feel from his you know whatever ten minutes of screen time, it does feel yeah, like yeah. it does feel a little bit like when we went to Matt Smith. He like oh yeah things are getting freshened up. There's some real new blood in the TARDIS, and I think I think that's yeah. good. I think that's what the show needs. Um, and I really love the whole like. You, there's this temptation whenever you have a character who's split down the middle, right? To have like, oh, now they're getting played against each other. But the unified front we get at the end of this episode really felt like, no, it's the Doctor and the Doctor. And they're going to be on the same page every time. Yeah. Also, th there is something, uh, his background, uh, looking up uh, uh background, there's an alien quality. I couldn't, I was trying to place his accent. And then I had to look it up. He was born in Rwanda, but raised in Scotland. So he has this oh, weird hybrid accent that works for the doctor. Because the doctor should always feel kind of ethereal, right? In that way, we are like, what? what is this guy's deal? And so the idea that he is uh, an African Scotsman is like, oh, yeah, that you don't see that. There's a vibe to him that's different. And, and, and yeah, I just I was instantly charmed by this guy who I've only seen as one of the Kens in Barbie is the only thing I've ever seen him in before this. Mm, yeah, now I recognize him. Yeah, he's, um, he's one of. The, is one this of the our first Doctor with a mustache? Ooh, I I think it is. Obviously, uh, yeah. Hurt had the full beard. Yeah, yes, yeah. No, but we've never had just a mustache. As the war doctor. Yeah, no, no, we've never had a mustache. I like it. All right. He's got kind of a, it, it reminds me of like a young Eddie Murphy mustache, like Beverly mm, yeah. Eddie Murphy, where it's just sort of, it's not like a thick Burt Reynolds-y mustache. It's just kind of, it's 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 not wispy, but it's thin, it's, uh, yeah, once again, that adds, to, I just like, I just instantly took a liking to this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very curious to see the Christmas special. Um, obviously, the ease of being able to just, like, put on Disney Plus and get the new Doctor Who probably guarantees that I'll be picking Doctor Who back up as, like, a thing I'm watching again. Yeah. Well, because we're getting immediately after this, we're getting, uh, on Christmas Day, we're getting the return to the Christmas special, which will be his the 15th Doctor's first full adventure, and we'll introduce his uh, companion. Cool. I'm very excited for that because, yeah, I loved how the end of this episode wrapped up with the doctors kind of commiserating with each other and this, like I said, non-linear regeneration where it's like, okay, it is up to the 14th doctor to go through recovery mm -hmm. for all the stuff he's been through up to this point post-time war. Oh, and that is going to happen. And, and then this doctor gets the fresh face to go 
and to retire, right? It's sort of this thing about like they, there's the whole there's because because the defeating of the toy maker happens, and then there's probably another ten minutes to the episode or so, you know. Yeah. And and it's all this moment about like where it's basically, even though it's the same guy and it's this bi generation, so he's kind of the same guy, but he's kind of a different guy, telling him like, hey man. I got this. Like it, it does feel like a passing of the torch in a way that it's never felt with with regeneration, right? Where it is sort of like you can retire, you can reflect, you can deal with the wounds, both physical and emotional, you've incurred. I'll, I'll take the TARDIS. Now you're still going to get your TARDIS, which I did love when he was like, "I also love that thing too." It's like you won the game, you get a prize, and then he hits the. I also love that there's just a mallet in the. <laughs> That scene was like, using some that? fucking Looney Tunes logic. Where there, is dude. that? And he just opens up a panel and there's a big mallet and then he hits the TARDIS. And then one thing that instantly endeared me to Shooty Gat was Doctor is when he turned after he hits the TARDIS, he goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, right, because never forget, of course, there's the whole one of my favorites, the Neil Game and the Doctor's Wife episode, where it's like, mm-hmm. no, the truest companion, his wife, is the TARDIS. Yeah. Uh, I like that he has a jukebox in his TARDIS. Yes. <laughs> and I love the way David Tennant walks and goes, ooh, jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, ooh. Uh, Yeah, and I, I love that he like kind of cheekily tries to get away. This doctor does feel like a scamp. He is a scamp, man. I I, I immediately, yeah, it does, it does feel like a fresh, fun doctor um, who, yeah, is... At least mostly unburdened of a lot of his emotional trauma, and so is gonna go into uh space and time with sort of this like what's out there kind of attitude. And already, just some of the pictures from his season I don't know if you've seen him in his 70s get up. Um, there's there's a very disco fied doctor for at least one of the episodes in his new season that definitely implies a very fun doctor to be had, and he's always sort of cheekily smiling in a lot of these pictures they also just released the uh a picture of him with his new sonic screwdriver which is completely different than anything we've seen it's more rounded and flat it looks more like a remote than like a tool which i'm sure some people will be furious about um like you know look man (laughs) as with all of this stuff it's like it's new it's things get redesigned it's one of the things embrace it you know i don't know Uh, I was just struck at the end of this episode by how different it was from the last, like when David Tennant was handing off to Matt Smith. Yeah. And obviously we had like the 50th anniversary where they kind of like had a bit more of a reconciliation. But what was so striking of the end of David Tennant's run was his last line before regenerating was, I don't want to go. Yeah. And that felt like there was this stranglehold in a way on the show since then that this feels like it's kind of like letting out that breath in a way to me it felt like a cathartic moment of just like okay he he can let go now he can go on he's always gonna be there Mm -hmm. and that's the metaphor of the end of the episode right like he's off taking care of himself and retiring and he's always gonna be there but he can let go and he can leave it to the next guy in no. a way that it almost didn't quite feel that way with Matt Smith. Well, it's interesting because people talk about this. The David Tennant regeneration was the first time it was treated as a death. 
Yeah. All of the other ones were pretty casual if you watch them. And 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 I know because I I just recently rewatched every regeneration. Um because I have no life. Um so uh <laughs> but like no, I watching through them and and if you remember of course, we remember the Eccleston one. Eccleston was just like, "No, then another guy will come. It's fine." Like it's not there was no the, the, mm-hmm. that was the first time there was like mourning, which speaks to number 1, the public trust. I mean, cuz remember he got this whole run of specials down the stretch, David Tennant, and it was yeah. and, and the England was like in mourning when he left. That's how popular he was. There was like, no, isn't there any way? Please stay. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> we love you so much. Uh, and even the the then then that sort of continued through, right? That the Matt Smith was given this very tearful send-off. Peter Capaldi has maybe my favorite regenerate because he gets this incredible monologue where Moffat basically it's basically Moffat's like conclusion about what the doctor is. Um, mm. it's wonderful. And then it's very interesting that the Jodie Whittaker one, though, pretty subtle and turns back into David Tennant. And so yeah. it's, it's a shame because like I said, it's not Jodie Whittaker's fault, but I think Jodie Whittaker will be kind of like, oh yeah, then she was the doctor. And that's, Which that's wild. Cause like she was the doctor for three seasons. She, yeah, she didn't do it for any show. I mean, she did it for the exact same amount of time that uh tenant smith and capaldi all did it three seasons is about what and i don't i don't know if the plan but at least davies is talking about this new doctor in a three season arc so yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that if i mean I, it's probably going to be up to him whether he wants to keep going after that but at least the initial plan is there will be a three season storyline for this doctor so yeah no it's not it's she didn't she didn't like get canned or something like that but there was definitely a distinct like you got i don't i don't think she got canned as much as it was more like you guys are wrapping this up? Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there definitely was a recalculation. Teaming with Disney, that's key to something. There, there was definitely a new investment in the future of Doctor Who after the, the Chibnall era. Mm, yeah. And I wonder how much of that is Davies, like, wanting to come back and versus studio pressure being like, well, we got to get the guy who we know is a sure thing back. I mean, something tells me, and this is purely my speculation, it was just like, Russell, would you ever like, you know, <laughs> let's just float the idea. And he was into it, um, you know, and, and it's an interesting thing, because I, I think he definitely at the time of leaving, it was like, well, I've said everything I'd want to say. And then clearly in the interim was like, well, maybe I, maybe there is something in there to say, because he's certainly gone on to do plenty of other stuff. I mean, uh, sure, Tor- Torchwood was his baby. Um, you know. and Torchwood is its own little beast to oh, untangle, but I love me some Torchwood. Um, God, I love Torchwood, <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. What if we took the darkest, weirdest episodes of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. cranked those up to 11, yeah. and made that the whole show? Yes, yep. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen the show Sex Education, but the, this new doctor was on there. I kind of want to watch it now just to get a sense of him. I've heard good things mm-hmm. about it. I've just never seen it. Um, also, I could totally see he received uh, a commendation at the Ian Charleson Awards, whatever that first performance is, Mercutio in a production of Romeo and Juliet. This guy seems like a Ooh. perfect Mercutio. Mm. was a, the scamp character of Romeo and Juliet, of course. <laughs> you know, a, a play replete with scamps of all stripes. <laughs> uh, and of course... People are being so cool about him being a black queer actor. Nobody has a problem with that at all. I 
yeah, we've been dancing around some of the the shitheadery that has emerged from this Doctor. Can we call it a revival? I don't know if we can call it a revival because Doctor Who really hasn't gone away. That's the thing about Doctor Who. It's it's one of the it's one of the craziest franchises to have been around for sixty years and never actually like rebooted in the traditional sense of continuity has always continued. Everything has always been canon. I guess the last Jodie Whittaker stuff was in twenty twenty one, so we've had a year, but like. You can blame the pandemic for that with oh, basically that's, any that's show. That's entirely what it is. It's just, yeah, it, yeah. They, they, they didn't, uh, <laughs> that wasn't like a planned thing. Um, no, right. Who, the biggest gap was post-Sylvester McCoy, then the brief Paul McGann thing in the 90s until then. But even still, all of that stuff, even the fucking American TV movie with Paul McGann still starts with Sylvester McCoy regenerating into Paul McGann. So it's all still of the same thing. It's crazy to me. After he gets gunned down in San Francisco. Yeah, well, because, you know, those, those street ruffians. Um, but just The wildest regeneration to me is gotta just... Gotta be, yeah. Street hoods gunned down the doctor. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I... I, I McGann is always I've always wanted more justice for that guy because I think he's great. That movie's not, but he is great in it. He's done a bunch of like audio dramas and a bunch stuff, of right? audio dramas, and they've done a couple of comics miniseries about him as well. He's also mm. that's why he's also the guy too, where it's like he 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 really wanted to be the Doctor, like that was, the, and so it's always, and he's certainly, I mean, he's on the aforementioned Luther. He definitely, once again, the guy's not hurting for work, but it's always just sort of like, sure. damn, <laughs> he was really good, uh, and so was kind, and was kind of the the. David Tennant, before David Tennant in some ways, right? Like, he was younger. He was more handsome than we'd seen previous Doctors. He was a little bit more dashing leading man Doctor before that was the norm. So, uh, unfortunately, you, you then the reverse is you have Eric Roberts as the master. and <laughs> No? No on Eric Roberts as the master? That's a no on Eric Roberts. As the... I just don't think... Uh, Doctor Who should be an American thing. I just don't. I don't think an American Doctor Who is going to work. Like, I I agree. Yeah, I just think that there's something inherently British about it. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as Bond. I never want. I've long on the record. I don't ever want an American playing Bond. Uh, that's got to be a British thing. I don't disagree there. Yeah. Uh, all in all. Yeah. This like. Uh, refresh this uh relaunch yeah i mean it's a soft relaunch yeah i think i think relaunch is is a a better word for it it's not rebooting it's relaunching it's a reintroduction certainly putting on disney plus means many more people are going to have access to this and so i have i have no doubt this will be a lot of people's first doctor who i think this will be a lot of people's first doctor who but in that same way that when we were getting into doctor who we maybe had this vague idea of like, okay, there's a guy with a scarf and a coat, and I think that is somehow associated with Doctor Who. Right. We're going to see this lanky man with occasional glasses and high tops. That is, like, vaguely Doctor Who to this whole new generation of people who are now getting him put on their screens for the first time. Yes, exactly. And I think that's that's the thing that's always kind of been a magic of it, right, is that, like... It's continually reinventing itself while also referencing the past. So it's it's always been good at bringing in new audiences while also acknowledging that it's something with a history. And I think this last one in particular, uh, uh, the giggle with bringing in the toy maker, like 
they they find a way to be like so reverential for the past. But also, if you haven't seen those, it doesn't matter. It's just you immediately get a sense of this character. And all that matters is that there is a history with the Doctor. Hmm. Hey, John, you want to feel old right now? Sure. Always. Someone who was born yeah. the day before uh, David Tennant first appeared as Doctor Who uh, is old enough to vote. Oy, boy. Yeah, that is. <laughs> well, usually I was talking to my sister about this because uh, she's a huge Whovian. And she was saying, she was going, this is the 60th. She goes, we just had the 50th. I'm like, no, that was 10 years ago. She's like, no, that can't be right. <laughs> that can't be right. That's not, that's not, what? Didn't we just have the 50th? No, 10 years ago we did. It was Matt Smith and David Tennant. They put their feet up on the table and they said no to the Zygons. I remember it. Oh, it's, it's so good. The Day of the Doctor is one of my favorite Doctor Who things ever. Yeah, it's wonderful. Same. Yeah, I uh, so, but I I am so looking forward to this new era of Doctor Who. Yeah, it, like I said, I I I stuck through the Jodie Whittaker stuff without liking it, but uh, you know, you, the, between that and Star Trek Discovery, you just like spent so much time yeah. watching shows you don't like. I know because I always want and 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 actually very similar in Star Trek Discovery. Every season was like this is the season we're gonna crack it. Isn't he like no? <laughs> I did finally give up on that. Um, but uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I did. I did because I just these Doctor Who and Star Trek are such enduring franchises for me. Um, sure. I mean, you know this. Look, you're a Star Wars guy. <laughs> uh, look, yes, and I will eagerly watch whatever they uh, Book of Boba Fett season two ends up being. Um, I'm on board for that, man. I I, I unapologetically like Book of Boba Fett. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I but but it does feel nice to be like once again, like almost like I, I almost feel more valid in my dislike of that mm. when i see this now and i'm going like oh right there there is something here there was some I, almost unexplainable thing right where it's just like this is the blanket of of who that i've needed again where you're just like oh it's back it's just it just feels right again it tastes right it's it's new it's it's it, 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 and like i said and i'm on board for that this new doctor feels like he's gonna have a different vibe than the other doctors and that's great but the show itself feels like it's still the show i love well, and we keep associating the show with Star Trek, but I think there's a lot of comparison to be drawn because sure. they're both incredibly long-running series that have had to refresh and reboot themselves time and time again. Yeah. But there is this intrinsic Star Trek quality that you can assign to shows, and when it's missing, that's even if all the characters are different, like you can feel it. That's that was my, and that was exactly my issues with Discovery too. I just kept going. It just doesn't feel like Trek. And then what really didn't help that, of course, was when they started making all this other stuff, Paramount Plus, and all of this does. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, even the animated comedy show feels like Trek. It's such purely good Star Trek. Lower <laughs> Decks is so fucking good. Um, so it's, it's really, goddamn, you guys, it's amazing. Uh, so we will cover uh, in a future panel up, I think we will do once uh, Shooty Got was season uh, comes to an end, his first season comes to an end. I think yeah. we'll do a whole episode about his uh, beginnings, the Doctor. Yeah, uh, I think giving him his own due for yeah, because uh, we talked his about entire whether, whatever the first season is. We I talked think about right whether call. to do this episode after the Christmas special. We thought no, just do these and then treat that as part of his run, and we'll talk about him more holistically. 
because no no offense, but he is got some big shoes to fill, yeah. and like oh, there yeah. is some trepidation by bringing David Tennant back, even if it was for these like three little episodes. Mm-hmm. You are setting an expectation for this guy, no question. And 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 also, I mean, every doctor, you know, takes a little while to get going. You know, it is sort of like you know, <laughs> David Tennant. I don't think had it necessarily in his Christmas special. It was mostly there. I think Matt Smith is one of the few ones where it's like day one. That first episode is perfection. His debut episode, yeah, is basically perfect. The eleventh hour, yeah, is like one of the best individual episodes of Doctor Who ever um i would say that first matt smith season is basically perfect for me (laughs) like because you have like you've got (sighs) time of the angels victory of the daleks uh the fucking flesh and stone episode like that whole like angels uh two-parter there uh you've got vincent and the doctor which is just like perfect doctor who basically yeah that's about as good as it gets that's another one people often reference as like if you're introducing someone to the show and that season ends with the whole pandorica thing with matt smith's like monologue to every doctor who villain ever stonehenge yeah Uh, question who's got the pandorica answer i do uh It's the best um no it's Uh, that yeah that that's what i'm talking about i do think the 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 writing of those Matt Smith errors is my, those are my favorite scripts. I still put mm. David Tennant as my number one doctor, but I think Moffat's scripts are just incredible. Um, and I have a real, I, I'm a real, cause I know there are some people who don't love Capaldi and I'm a real Capaldi defender. It's not, it's not nearly the vitriol of the Jodie Whittaker, but there were some people who I think were disappointed after the fun youthfulness of Tennant and Smith, that they went back to a more, classic doctor an older doctor uh uh, uh a crabbier doctor He's, he was a prickly fellow capaldi was not you know was not a a, a warm hugging doctor i capaldi is definitely where i fell off and i eventually did like watch up to the end of his uh series and like oh, what was the episode where he punches through infinity oh yeah. um yeah <laughs> That will always, always, always get me when it's just like, okay, we have a time loop episode and he needs to punch through a wall that represents all of time. Yeah. Cool. Got it. It rules. It rules. He's, I mean, he's a badass. He's one of the most badass doctors. Yeah. Mm. He's not, he's not going to be the guy who's once again going to give you a hug, but he is the guy who will punch through infinity and he's going to play an electric guitar. When he comes in on top of the TARDIS playing an electric guitar, like yeah, he's he's just a badass, and that's what that's what I love about him. Um, yeah. So yeah, can't wait to see what the new Doctor holds. I know. Yeah, I'm we, excited to embrace this new era. We just get like I said, we just get a taste, and I like this sort of cheeky gamp that we see in a little bit here. But yeah, I want to see what kind of adventures he's going to get into. I want to meet his new companion, um, who's a, a young blonde lady. Uh, I, I want to see him kick Davros in the teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, I can't wait for the return of Davros. Uh, and I know some people are pissed about that too. Um, believe it or not, because Davros isn't in a. He's walking now, and people don't like that. Sure, whatever. <laughs> not my Davros. Does he, whatever. Does he have the weird face? Then cool. he's still got a weird fucking face, though. Yeah, that's all it really. Is. <laughs> Yeah, and he's still got, like, evil machinations, so I'm on board. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. my God, the new companion. You want to feel old again, uh, Gargoni? The new companion, sure. born in 04. 
<laughs> she was born two years before Doctor Who restarted. Yep. She has yep. she has not formed memories prior to Eccleston becoming Doctor Who. Correct. <laughs> Millie Gibson playing. Oh, here's a Doctor Who name. Her companion's name Ruby Sunday. Oh, that's good. That's, that's good. good. Stuff. That's good stuff, man. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> Uh, all right, but next month I know you're excited, Gurgani, because our next panel off episode will be about hmm? what uh, a little What's series it about? called Monarch. What is Legacy it, of Monsters? A Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, the 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 show set in the was like what are they calling? Is it the Monsterverse? Is that what they're calling? It's the Monsterverse. Yeah, yeah the Monsterverse. Uh, 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 legendary. Legendaries. Monsterverse. Yeah, the Monsterverse. I've wanted to talk about that show since the first episode dropped but i I believe it (laughs) uh i have had to force myself to stop calling it the godzilla show yeah because quite honestly now that we're like as of this recording most of the way through that series godzilla in it a relatively little amount i will Godzilla is like basically just the inciting incident i'm not i'm not yeah as we as as a staff i'm not like a huge godzilla fan but i will say the first time you see godzilla in that show does rule it, I would say the it, second time you yeah. see Godzilla in that show also rules. Yeah, but it's very cool. And uh, we may touch on a little bit. I don't know if... Because uh, I, I weirdly, I've seen it and you haven't, at least last I checked, Godzilla minus yes. one. Um, uh, Timing-wise, hasn't really worked out, but I'm going to see it. Uh, we could probably sneak a little minus one talk in there, in there while we're at too, it. Because boy, oh boy, is that worth talking about. God damn, that is a picture. Yeah, yeah that can't is, wait. That is as good as it gets right there, man, I gotta say. Uh, Godzilla fans feasting well right yeah, now. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I, I keep telling people, it's like, people are like, Godzilla, I'm like, no, 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 you gotta go see this, because le- legitimately, it's one of my favorite movies of the year, and it happens to be a Godzilla movie. You know, it's like, it's that good a film. Uh, Scorsese or Godzilla, where does it rank? Well, obviously, Scorsese still wins, but... Damn it, uh, damn it, damn it. one of it's still, it's not my favorite film of the year. <laughs> it's crazy, but it's gonna a uh, Godzilla movie cracking my top ten, which I will have uh, hopefully next month for you folks here on the YouTube channel. I will be putting out a video with my top ten of twenty twenty three. Danny Boyle's the killer, or Godzilla. <laughs> it's David Fincher's the killer, and no, that David no, Fincher. Yeah, no, that's 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 two. It's 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 the damn it, damn it, two, damn two it. killer movies. It's gonna be lower, but it'll be top. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Avatar The Way of Water Godzilla Minus One. Well, that came out last year, so... <laughs> Good. I win, finally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I was always going to put Godzilla over. I mean, I, I put some of the Godzilla movies I don't like over Avatar too. But um... <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan, folks. Uh, yeah. Not a fan. Uh, anyway, uh, of course, if you want even more of this kind of nonsense and such, uh, you want to head over to our patron page, which is uh, patron.podbean.com slash punchup. There you can get cool exclusive bonus content as well as help support the network and all the shows on it. Uh, if you are watching us on YouTube, which we always recommend is the number one way to watch this show, uh, not as visual when we do the panel up ones, but you still get to see our pretty faces. Uh, but normally when we, <laughs> like that one in particular, um, but uh, uh, yes, uh, join us every week to talk about old Star Wars comics uh, and, and you get to read them along with us on there. So make sure you like, comment, and subscribe below. Uh, let us know. I want to know who people's favorite doctor is. Put a comment below. Who's your favorite doctor and why? You don't have to give us an essay, but uh, you know, I, I, I want to meet you, Pertwee fans. <laughs> they have to exist, right? I enjoy a Pertwee. 
Pertwee's very fun. Uh, you know, uh, he was. The how about how about that uh, time when the doctor didn't have the TARDIS and he just drove around in a jalopy? <laughs> Those were the days, man. Uh, <laughs> now that's my doctor. I would love it if somebody's like, now until he gets rid of the TARDIS, I'm not going to love it. <laughs> really, uh, I'm more of a car-based Doctor Who guy. Um, I'm sure they. Exist. I'm sure they do exist. So yeah, we'll be back next week with more uh, Star Wars talk. Uh, including about Jabba the Huts of all a number of T's in their name. Um, <laughs> but uh, that will uh, wrap things up for this month's episode of Panel Up. I'm John Campbell. And I will always be Mike Ergoni. Till next month, we're going to panel down.